If you have been with us over the last several weeks, you know that we are studying through the book of Nehemiah. Um, Nehemiah is just a really cool story, and it's a really applicable story for us. And just in case you haven't been with us, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. Basically, God put it on Nehemiah's heart to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And we have kind of walked through this story, and we've walked through... um, Nehemiah having this vision placed in his mind of what he needed to do when we walked through uh, the rebuilding of the walls. And then last week we talked about bringing the community back and to rebuilding the community. And then last week we, we talked about a really powerful part of our text where it talked about the fact that the people were weeping about their past and about the things they had done in the past. And our takeaway from last week, as I hope you remember, was that our past does not define us. God took care of that when he sent his one and only son to the cross. So we are going to pick up here this week, and we're going to pick up in Nehemiah chapter 9. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 9 is a very powerful text. It's a very powerful text from the standpoint of basically from about the middle of verse 5 on, we see a prayer. And it's a really powerful prayer. And the cool thing about this prayer is it kind of gives a brief recap of the entire Old Testament. So if anybody ever comes to you and says, uh, Bruce, give me a quick overview of what the, New Test- the Old Testament says, he could literally just refer them to Nehemiah chapter 9, and you would get a pretty good overview of the Old Testament and the things that have taken place. So this text is really important for a lot of different reasons. But the cool thing is, is it tells the story. It tells the story of the people of God and what they have been through and some of the things that they've done, quite frankly, and it gives us this overview. Now, here's the thing. Everybody has a story. I have a story, and you have a story. The Israelites had a story, and Nehemiah has a story. And the cool thing about stories is is stories are very, very powerful. People ask me frequently, how how do I share Christ with others? And the first thing that I always tell them is, tell your story. Share your story about the amazing things that Christ has done in your life with other people. Because yes, there's a time and a place for Bible study, but stories are powerful. And sharing the message of what God has done in your life is powerful. You can probably think of a story, maybe it's a story in your family, a story that gets told over and over again. And why do you tell that story? You tell that story, or your mom and dad told that story, or your grandma and grandpa told that story, because it's meaningful to you, because it's powerful to you, because it's impactful to you. The story of Jesus should be the same way for us. And we're going to see that the story today is meaningful and it's impactful and it really made the people think. This isn't just a prayer. This prayer that we're going to read here in just a few moments, it's more than that. It's an acknowledgement. It's a confession. It's a remembrance. It's their story. And much like maybe some of us, maybe we're not proud of our story. Maybe we're not proud of everything that's happened in our past. But as we talked about last week, the beautiful thing is that past doesn't define you. 
And we're going to see today as we look at the story of the Israelites, and most of you kind of know the, the overview of this story, right? Is this pattern over and over and over again of, of crying out to God for help. And God comes in and saves the day, and then they go right back to their old ways. And that's what we're going to kind of look at and kind of talk through a little bit today is this story and why these stories are important. And then how do we share our story with others? The bottom line is God's story changes our story. Maybe you can think back to a time before you were a Christian or before you were baptized into Christ. Maybe you can think back to a time of what your life was like before Christ and then what your life is like with Christ. I know that I can. See, God's story changed my story. And God's story changes your story. It's amazing that he can do that, but he can. And that's what we're going to look at here today. So if you would, open up your Bibles, open up your iPads, open up your phones. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 9, and we've got a lot of Scripture to get through today. So we're going to move through the Scripture fairly quickly, but I want to encourage you to listen, to absorb, and then if you need to, you can go back and read this again a little bit later on. So Nehemiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1, says, On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Now, this sounds really weird to us, right? We think of wearing sackcloth. We think of putting dust on our heads. I'm kind of a neat freak, so this kind of, kind of weirds me out a little bit. But, but this was just how they showed their reverence. This is how they showed that this was, they, were, they were in this for the right reasons, that they were trying to show God that they were putting him first. It says, those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners. It says, they stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. So as we get ready to, to continue with this story, see, they, they've gathered together, right? And they spent, the, and depending on the commentary that you look at, they spent about three hours just confessing of their sins, acknowledging to God that, yes, I have made mistakes, that, yes, I am a sinner. Because we remember, what do we read in the New Testament? All have fallen short of the glory of God. We continue with our story. It says, they stood there, excuse me, they stood where they were and they read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day, <coughs> excuse me, and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord, their God. So about six hours of just confession and reading and worshiping. It says, standing on the stairs, the Levites were Joshua, Benai, Cadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Kenaniah. It says they cried out with a loud voice to the Lord, their God. Now we talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? When we talked about the different ways that they worshiped. And this is one of the ways that they worship. They're crying out to God in worship. Verse 5 says, And the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Benai, Hashabaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pathaniah said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. It says, Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be, may it be exalted above all blessings and praise. And again, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but this idea of standing up, right? You stand up to show the importance that God has. You're, you're putting him at a higher place. And we know this comes from back in this time, right? Like when the Roman Empire and things like that, when the emperor would come by, everybody stood up 
to show their respect. And we see that in the second half of this verse is kind of where we see this prayer starts, where it says, blessed be your glorious name. This is where we kind of launch into this prayer, and this is where we're going to kind of, kind of hit the fast forward button, and we're going to go through a little bit of the history of the Old Testament. It says, you alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all the, their starry host. It says, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, you give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. It says, you are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur on the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. See, here's where we're starting with kind of that history, right? Of when, when Abram became Abraham, when God decided he was going to bless him and his descendants. It says, you found his heart faithful to you and you made a covenant with him to give to his descendants the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Jebusites, and the Gergesites. It says, you have kept your promise because you are righteous. I love this prayer so much because not only are they acknowledging who God is, but they're acknowledging God's faithfulness. Now, to you and I, we say, well, of course God is faithful, but, but look at what the Israelites went through. Look at what the Israelites went through in this cycle and this pattern that they were in, but yet they always remembered God's faithfulness. Because, see, it goes back to the past is behind us, but we have to remember the things that happened in the past so that we don't make those same mistakes, so that we don't fall into those same traps. And here we see that he's acknowledging that his, he was righteous and that he was faithful. It says, you saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials and all of the people of his land. For you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. <laughs> it says, you made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. It says, you divided the sea before them so that they passed through it on dry ground. But you hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into mighty waters. It says, by day you led them with a pillar of cloud and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way they were to take. Now, I'm going to stop there for just a second. This, this story of the parting of the Red Sea, and of course, this is just a, an artist's rendition. I don't know exactly what this may have looked like. But, but if you remember the story of the Red Sea, right? They were, they were being chased. They were running away. And all of a sudden, they had been chased right up to the edge of the sea. And they're like, what do we do now? We can't turn back because the enemy is behind us. And we can't go forward because there's a giant sea in front of us. Now, we know the story. We know how this story ends, right? God, through, through, through Moses, just parts, parts the Red Sea, right? And they're able to literally walk across on dry land. Why do we see the mentioning and the story of the Red Sea over and over and over again to the point that some 2,000 and something years later, we still tell this story? It was important. It was an important moment in their lives because they thought, this is it. We're cornered. There's no place for us to go. Yet God made a way. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever just feel like you're at the end of your rope? That you're up against a wall and you just don't know what to do? I know I've been there. And I'm sure many of you have been there as well. But just like 
with the parting of the Red Sea. God will make a way for us. We just have to have enough faith to know that it's coming. And that's the hard part, right? But we can do it, and so can he. Let's go ahead and continue. So as you came down on Mount Sinai, you spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right, and decrees and commands that are good. It says, you made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. It says, in their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven, and their thirst, you brought the water from the rock. It says, you told them to go and take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. Now, this is one of those things in the Old Testament that always really kind of hits me like a ton of bricks. When Moses went up to the mountain, right, to get the Ten Commandments, just in the time that he was gone, what happened? Just in the time that he went to get the commandments, the people created a golden calf and started worshiping it. They had turned to idolatry just in the time it took Moses to go up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments so they knew what to do just in that time they broke the cycle. Just in that time they turned their backs on God and said, eh, just not sure, I'm going to hedge our bets. We're going we're to build the golden calf and that way we can kind of worship both, right? But even when they turned their backs on God, God did not turn his back on them. And he continued to provide a way. And if you haven't gotten that yet from the text, this is, this is that cycle that we're seeing, right? That, that they, may, they mess up, right? They make mistakes just like we do. And God saves them and provides a way anyway. It says, they refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. It says, they became stiff-necked and their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. You did not desert them. It wasn't what they deserved. But, but see, that, the, this picture of God that we see here in verse 17, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. And he forgave them over and over, just like he forgives us. It says, even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies. It says, because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. It says, by day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. It says, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. It says, for 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked for nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. This picture kind of sums up right, what we're talking about. Now, I'm from the Midwest. When I think of wilderness, I think of like trees and shade and forest. But this is probably more like what it looked like. And I love this picture because you can see the pillar, right? The pillar that they were to follow. 
as they were wandering in the wilderness. But I want you to think for just a minute about the situation. God was mad at them. He was upset with them. But he still provided the way. He still provided the way for them to go. Those of you who are parents, you can think of those times, right? Where even though you're mad at your kids, you still want the best for them. So we say, well, why then? Why would he send them to the wilderness? Well, again, parents, do we sometimes have to discipline our children? Even though sometimes it's harder on us, right? When we ground them, they, we, they drive us nuts. But, but it's the same thing. God had to, had to discipline them out of love. Because what happens if we don't discipline our children? What happens if you just let your kids do whatever they want? They're going to go off the rails. They're going to get themselves in trouble. They're going to grow up to be adults who don't listen to people, who don't respect authority, who don't follow the rules. So God, being the loving father that he is, knew that he needed to discipline them. But he didn't abandon them. He never abandoned them. Even when he was mad at them, he still provided for their every need. That's in a nutshell who our God is. He does the same thing for us. He may not love the things that we're doing, and he may be upset with us, but he still loves us, and he still provides the way. We just have to look for it. Let's continue with our story. It says, you gave them kingdom and nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. It says, they took over the country of Shiloh, king of <coughs> Heshbon, and the country of Og, king of Bashan. It says, you made their children as numerous as the stars in the sky, and you brought them into the land that you told their parents to enter and possess. Again, it's just a vision of God's faithfulness. It says, their children went in and took possession of the land. It says, you subdued before them the Canaanites who lived in the land. You gave the Canaanites into their hands along with their kings and their people of the land to deal with them as they pleased. Again, God's faithfulness. He still brought them into the promised land. It says they captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of the houses filled with all kinds of good things. Wells already dug, vineyards, olive trees, and fruit trees in abundance. It says they ate, they ate to the full and were well nourished. They revel in your great goodness. It says, but they were disobedient and they rebelled against you. They turned their backs on the law. It says, they killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn their back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. They killed the prophets, right? Why did they kill the prophets? Because the prophets were telling them things they didn't want to hear. The prophets' whole job was to say, look, if you don't repent, you're going to face judgment. And the people didn't want to hear that. The message of the prophets was fascinating. It was very much like, hey, look, I was sent here to tell you, you got to knock it off. You got to stop doing the things that you're doing. And if you do, you're going to be saved. And if you don't, you're going to face judgment. So what do they do? They just killed the prophets. 
You've heard the saying, don't shoot the messenger, right? They shot the messenger. They didn't want to hear the message that the prophet had to share with them. It says, so you were delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. It says, but when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. It says, from heaven, you heard them. And in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers and rescued them from the hand of their enemies. This is, this is another one of those stories from the Old Testament where, where God assured them victory as they conquered these new lands, but he only assured them victory if they followed the rules. So what happened when they didn't follow the rules? It says right here, gave them into the hands of their oppressors because they didn't follow the rules. But then they cried out to God, and once again, God saves them. Again, it's this cycle, it's this pattern that they were caught up in. It says, but as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hands of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven and in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. Verse 29 says, you warned them in order to turn their back to to your law. But they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, of which you said, the person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you because stiff-necked and refused to listen. Again, despite the fact of everything that God had done for them, they again just turned their back and didn't want to hear what God had to say. As we wrap up the story, it says, For many years you were patient with them. By your spirit you warned them through your prophets. Yet they paid no attention. So you gave them into the hands of the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy you did not put an end to them or abandon them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. See, they kept getting wrapped up in this cycle. And maybe this is a cycle that you can relate to. Maybe this is a cycle that you found yourselves in at some point. But you'll notice this cycle is a circle. It just keeps going around and around and around. And that's exactly what the Israelites did over and over and over and over again. We got to break that cycle. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you're caught in this cycle. Well, guess what? God loves you, and he can help you break out of the cycle if you'll just ask him to do so. But see, it takes some work on our part. You'll notice as we read through our story, what happened? They'd cry out to God. God would rescue them, and then they would get complacent again. Then they would get complacent, right, and go right back into the same things over and over and over again. Idolatry was the big thing that the Israelites always fell back on. And maybe we have something in our lives that's similar to that. And maybe it's not an idol. Maybe it's not a golden calf. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. We've got to break the cycle. Because yes, God will forgive us. 
but he also expects us to do our part. See, God provides for us, but we have to do our part. God offers us salvation, but what does he ask for in return? He asks us to live faithfully, to be baptized. We've got to do our part to break this cycle. Otherwise, our story ends up just like the Israelites where we're caught in this cycle and we keep doing the same things over and over again. Verse 31 wraps up our story. It says, but in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them for you a gracious and merciful God. I wanted to read that again because that is so important. The grace and the mercy that God gives us, not because we deserve it, because we don't, but he gives it to us because he loves us. And he loves us so much that he was willing to send his one and only son so that we didn't get the punishment that we deserved. Instead, Jesus took it for us. Remembering the past shapes your future. We talked about this last week, and this is almost like a two-part lesson from last week, but your past doesn't define you, but we got to learn from our past. Because if we go through all of that, and we don't learn something from it, then we've lost. But if we go through difficult times, and we learn from it, and we really, truly change, then we've, we've won. We've gained from that mistake. So where do we go from here? Just like in this rather long prayer that we just read through, we got to confess. we got to be honest with God, because he already knows. He already knows, but he wants you to come to him to confess your sins. He wants you to come to him to say, look, God, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that I make mistakes, but I don't want to do that anymore. Help me break out of this cycle. Help me rebuild that relationship. Help me get back on the right track. we got to praise him for what he has done. We noticed over and over during this prayer, right? The theme was that they praised him. God, you are gracious. God, you are merciful. God, you are the creator. They praised him for the things that he had already done for them. We've got to remember the lessons that we learn. Again, don't let it define you, but learn from it. And the last thing is we got to tell the story. The Great Commission, right, tells us to go out and make disciples, to go baptize. Are we doing that or are we waiting for somebody else to do it? Are we telling people the story? Are we telling people the good news of Jesus? I hope that we are. And again, the most powerful way you can share Jesus with others is tell them what he's done in your life. Tell them your story. Because God's story changes our story. And we all have one. So share it with someone who needs to hear it. Maybe this morning you need to get some things out. Maybe this morning you need to confess of some things or you need some help to break out of that cycle that you found yourselves in. In just a moment, we're going to sing an invitation song, and I want to encourage you to come forward. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you and help you with that in any way that we can. Or maybe you've never had the chance to put on Christ in baptism, to be forgiven of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a life-changing experience. And the beautiful thing is your story changes the moment that you're baptized, and your story becomes God's story. 
And there's no reason to leave here today without taking care of that. If you, if you would, and if we can help you in any way, we want to encourage you to come forward as we stand together and as we sing. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing day. We thank you for this opportunity that we had to come together to sing songs of praise unto you and to learn another portion of your word. And uh, most of all, Heavenly Father, we are just so excited for uh, Valentino and the decision that he's made. Heavenly Father, we are just blessed by this church family, wherever they may be this morning. We ask that you would continue to watch over them. We ask that you would continue to bless them. Most of all, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for helping us break that cycle of sin that we may find ourselves in. And we thank you for being the amazing God that you are. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. I will never be the same again. I can never return. I've closed the door. I will walk the path. I'll run the race. And I will never be the same. say